so lived that people would say, wow, how weighty, how, how honorable and awesome is the Lord. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 115. I want you to keep it open so you can follow along. I'll be using the Christian Standard uh, translation of, uh, of the New Testament, or excuse me, of the, of the Bible. And uh, so if, if, if you have a, a smart Bible and you want to just choose that one, it's the CSB. I was perusing the Psalms this week, trying to figure out what, uh, what Psalm the Lord would want me to speak on, and I fell upon Psalm 115. At the time, I did not remember that this was a Psalm, the, the Psalm right before the one that Michael did a couple of weeks ago. If you were here that Sunday, you'll remember that he told us that uh, that Psalm and this one are part of what is known as the Hallel Psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. Uh, Hallel meaning hallelujah or praise Yahweh. And they were traditionally sung uh, along with Passover, celebrating the deliverance of, of Israel out of, uh, out of Egypt. I wasn't remembering any of that at the time that I read the psalm. And so uh, as I read it, I decided this is the challenge. This psalm holds the challenge that I want to bring to us this morning. And uh, so it may have traditionally been sung during the Passover, but I think this psalm has something for us this morning, a present-day challenge. The psalm begins, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And that's going to be my challenge to us this morning. That's going to be my encouragement from this psalm. And here, here it is, specifically, don't miss it. Live your life for the glory of God. Let the glory of God be your aim. Now, the word glory translates a simple word meaning weight or heaviness. And the idea came, when we use glory in this sense, it came to mean having the weight of value. Glory came to mean the weight of value or the weight of importance or the weight of greatness or the weight of honor. And so I want to challenge myself first and foremost, but I want to challenge you as well to live your life for the value for the importance, for the honor, for the greatness, and for the weightiness of God. Now the Bible speaks often of the glory of God. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the weightiness of God, the importance of God, the greatness of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 6, that wonderful that wonderful prophecy or that wonderful vision that he had. He says, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with his weightiness. The whole earth is filled with uh, you know, the weight of his importance or the weight of his honor. And we find this exhortation, not just in the psalm, but we find this exhortation to live for the glory of God at various places throughout the scripture. So take Matthew, for instance. Jesus is speaking here. He said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
that they might see your good works and they might say, wow, look at the weightiness of God. Look at how great God is. Look at, man, we need to honor this God. Jesus said, let your life so live that people would say, wow, how weighty, how, how honorable and awesome is the Lord. Philippians 2.11, Paul says that in the end, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, to the weightiness of God's honor, to the weight of his, of his wonderfulness, his importance, his greatness. Every tongue's going to confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So live for the weightiness, for the honor, for the importance of God in your life. And then, then the, the all-encompassing verse, and if you're thinking with me and you know your Bibles really well, you've probably already thought about this verse, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do it all for the weight of God, for the honor of God, for the importance of God. So the question then is, how do we do that? How do we live for the glory of God? I think this psalm has some thoughts on that matter. And I want to show you from the psalm how I think the psalmist would say to us today, here's how you live for the glory of God. Here's my first Here's my first exhortation from the psalmist. Choose to live for God's glory and not your own. What I mean by that is this. Make a decision. Make a decision in your life that you are going to live your life for God's honor, for the weightiness of God's honor, for the weightiness of God's person, for the weightiness of God's greatness. Decide you're going to live for him. So the psalmist begins the psalm, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. We live for God's glory by making a decision to make it about him and not about ourselves. The psalmist says, let it not be about your weightiness. Let it not be about your honor. Let it not be about your greatness. Let it be about God's greatness. And, and honestly, everyone, that's what humility is, isn't it? Humility is us saying it's not about me, but it's about God. It's about, it's about prioritizing him and putting him first. So as he continues, the psalmist gives us you know, three ways, if you would, or three reasons to make this decision. He says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. So I want to give you three, three reasons why the psalmist says you should make a decision today to live for the glory of God. Number one is you should live for the glory of God because of God's faithful love. God loved you first. I mean, God started this whole thing. It's not about you choosing God or you deciding, I'm almost going to love God first. No, God loved you first. God not only created you, but he created you because he loved you. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people want to put a priority here when it comes to God's creation. God created us to make himself look big and make himself great for his glory, for the weightiness of his honor and all. And, and I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. But I want to tell you, I think you need to be careful if you make it, if you make creation all about that 
And you miss the fact that God made you because God actually loves you. I mean, there's one thing that God says about himself. When, when, he, he, said, when, when he talks about God is something, there's only one thing in the Bible that says God is love, right? Start in the beginning of your Bible, go to the end of your Bible, and you will just find it just all throughout the word of God. God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting love. God created you because he loved you. I mean, that's so important. And the reason why you should make a decision to live for the weightiness of God and not your own honor is because God loves you and he created you out of that love. It's, it's about him, not about you and me. Second, he says, uh, you, the reason you should live for the glory of God uh, and not your own, is because of God's truth. You see that in the text? Let me go back and read it. He says, because of your faithful love, because of your truth. God is truth. God is the most important truth. God is the only truth. And the only truth is that he is the creator of all things, and he exists. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the he, That's how he defines himself, as truth. People are trying to tell us today that truth is relative. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You know, folks, that simply isn't true. Uh, Whatever you believe, it doesn't make it true because you believe it. Let me say that again. Just because you believe something, that doesn't mean it's true, right? The Bible says, God says, I am truth. And the psalmist says, you should honor God because he is the one true objective truth outside of ourselves. He's the one who's existed forever. He's the one who has no beginning, no end. Lord, let your glory go to you and your name because you are the ultimate truth. That's what the psalmist says. So live for God because you are insignificant apart from him. There is no truth apart from God. So if God isn't real, then then what are we? I mean, what is life? What is anything? There's only one objective truth, and that is that there is a creator who created all of it. And the third reason why you should live, you should make a decision today to live for the honor of God, for the weightiness of God, is because God is sovereign. Our God sit, Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. The psalmist says, hey, live for the glory of God because God is the sovereign. God is the one who sits in heaven and does whatever he wants. Now, I've said this before, just, just so you understand it. You know, sovereignty is often defined differently by Christians. Some Christians define sovereignty meaning God meticulously controls everything. In fact, saying things like dismites, don't move left or right. I mean, there's no wind blows, there's nothing that isn't happening because God is meticulously causing it to happen. And that's what it means that God is sovereign. I don't believe that's a correct definition of sovereignty. Sovereign means that God is sovereign is the word king. God is a king. The sovereign king is the one with ultimate authority. And you and I should live our lives and bring glory to him because he sits in his heaven and does whatever he wants. That doesn't mean that he micromanages everything. It simply means that that there's no authority greater than his. There's no authority greater than his. And, and there's nothing that he cannot do that he wants to do, right? Nothing at all. So how do we bring glory to God? We make this decision. That's where it begins with the decision. I want to live for the glory of God. How do we do that? Well, here's the next thing I think the psalmist shows us. He says we live for the glory of God when we put, when we put our idols to death. 
So he, he continues. He says, their idols, as opposed to our God who sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their God, their idols, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but can't speak, eyes but can't see. They have ears but they cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet, they cannot walk, they cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. The psalmist is making fun of their idols. He's making fun of their gods, and he says, you know, these people make, they carve out gods of wood, and then they overlay them with silver and gold, and they say, that's God. He said, but you know those gods that they make, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have arms, but they can't move. Their idols are dead. Their idols are not alive. And he says, anyone who makes them is just like them, meaning this, that they're just as dead. They're just as dead as that idol. He obviously doesn't mean literal death. He's using death metaphorically there. And he says, basically, they have no life with God. They have no life with the true God if they make an idol. But it's not just the ones who make the idol. It's the ones who trust in the idol. They're just like them, too. They're just as dead in their relationship with God as the idol maker. So we have a choice. You live for God or you live for your idols. You, you live for God and you put your idols to death. That's how we bring glory to God. We kill these idols that tend to creep up in our life. Now let me be transparent. Most of us Westerners are too sophisticated to worship a piece of wood that we've overlaid in anything, right? Gold, silver, formica, whatever we might overlay it in, right? We're, we're too sophisticated for that. Although a few years ago, a few years ago, I went to Richmond and visited a Hindu temple we were out doing evangelism. We got invited into a Hindu temple. And there at the front were like 10 gods, 10 idols. And, and I remember saying to the Hindu priestess or priest, saying something like, those are not your gods, right? No, he goes, oh, no, no, these are our gods. And, and they had wooden, painted wooden gods up front that they brought food to every, every day. So, I mean, I guess you'd say, well, they're Easterners, not Westerners. Not Westerners, but that's in the Western world. But if you look up the, the word idol in the dictionary, the most common definition would be an object that somebody worships. But a more inclusive definition of idol would be this. An idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. And by that definition, even really good things can become idols for us. Even good things, we can put them ahead of God. And, and so I want to suggest to you today that the way we bring glory to God, the way we, the way we bring weightiness, the weight of honor to the living, to the true creator God is by putting to death these idols in our life. Now, in my opinion, the list of idols that we can worship would be endless. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to worship, you could worship. So the, the list would be endless. But I sat at my desk this week and I wrote down five modern idols that I want to challenge you to put to death in your life. Here's the first one. The number one idol that I think all of us have to face down and kill is the idol, idol of self. It's the idol, idol of self. The fact that uh, the one thing that God desires most from us is that we die to self and that we live for him, that we value God above valuing ourselves, so that Jesus would say something like this, he did say this, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, which by the way was an instrument of death, and, and follow me. 
Now, honestly, again, for, if you're thinking with me, following with me, you're saying, well, that's just a repeat of the first point, right? Which the first point was make a choice to live for God's glory and not for your own. And, and, and I'd agree with you, it's just a repeat of the first point. But ourselves are an idol. Ourselves can become, I think ourselves are the idol that we tend to, that tends to rival the throne of our hearts for, uh, with God. It would be myself, wanting, wanting to put myself first, wanting to value and give weightiness to myself. But here's four others. Comfort and security can be an idol that we need to put to death in our lives as, as ones who want to give glory to God. A thousand pastors were asked to write down, what do you think is the biggest idol in the American church? Their number one answer was this, comfort and security. We want our comfort. And when it comes to choosing God and his will versus our comfort and security, we, we tend to want to choose comfort and security. And, you know, this might show itself and maybe in your heart God's calling you to the mission field. But, yeah, that's scary and it's dangerous. And, you know, so there's, there's all kinds of things that God wants us to do that are scary. Hey, God speaks to your heart. He says, leave your job. And I want you to go here and do this. Man, that's scary. God says, what God says, and there's all kinds of things I could give, but you'd think I'd be picking on you. But there's all kinds of things that God could say to you that would be scary. You know, we, and here's an idol, security and comfort. And then maybe these are just subpoints to the first one I just gave you. Here's another idol. Status and success can be an idol. The desire to be admired, the desire to be respected, to have position and power and influence with others. You know, if I have to choose between being faithful to God and losing my position of influence, that can be an idol. And I have to, and that's, I think that's an idol that, that we face a lot, especially if you're in the business world or you're in, in the, uh, what are they called? The marketplace of life. You know, you know, a lot of us, you know, you, you work by yourself. You're a self-employed contractor. It's just you. But you know, if you're in the corporate world and, and you want to be successful in whatever it is that you do, the nuclear business, for instance, you know, there's going to come times where you might have to choose God over influence, God over position that you have. Here's another big one in our day. Sex and relationships can be an idol. It's not just single people who idolize romantic relationships. Married people do that as well. Other people can become idols in our life. That woman, that man, that idea can become what we value more than God. Hey, this is the same, this is the same, same idol. Your children can become your idol. Do you know that? You can put your children, uh, your love for your children above your love for God. Young children, grown children, family's important, but it's deadly if it's an idol. It's deadly if you're putting it in front of God. Approval can be an idol. This is my last of my five that I want to share with you or challenge you with. And there's so many more. Food can be an idol. Identity can be an idol. Your phone, your image. All of these can be idols. Maybe I'm choosing approval as my fifth big idol is because I struggle with wanting to be liked. I, I want to be liked. I want to be approved. I want to be accepted. Nothing wrong with wanting people to like me. But when we value what people think of us more than we value faithfulness to God and obedience to God, then it's an idol in our life, and we have to put it to death. How do you recognize idols in your life? These are not my questions. I found them, but I thought they were really good, so let me give them to you. Here's four questions you can ask yourself. Get alone. Maybe ask your spouse. Ask somebody else. Uh, here, here's four questions. Ask yourself first, but maybe get somebody else involved too. Here's a question. Where do I invest my non-allocated time? 
I, I say non-allocated time because, you know, you have to work and you have to sleep and you have to, there's things you have to do in life, right? But that non-allocated time, the time doesn't fall into one of those. Where, where do you spend that time? Where do you spend your surplus money? Again, you got to pay the bills, right? You, you've got to put bread on the table for your families. You've, you've got to provide a shelter and clothing and those sort of things. But the surplus money, what do you do with that? You know, look at, look at those kind of things. These last two are the biggies. Where do I get my happiness? Where do you get your actual happiness? And then, and then finally, uh, what's always on your mind? What you always thinking about? What's always, what are you always gravitating to? If, if God and his kingdom are not rising to the top in these areas, and, and, and again, I, I'm not trying to say it's static and it's every moment it's always God. I, I get that. I mean, we got different, you know, our minds can only, we focus on different things at different times. But I think you get my point, right? What's at the top of your life when it comes to your happiness and your thinking, your money, your time? What floats to the top? And whatever floats to the top, if it's not God and his kingdom, chances are it's an idol. And maybe you need to put it, maybe you need to put it to death. Let's go on. We live for God's glory when we put our trust in God. Here's the next thing the psalmist says. Verse 9. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Here the psalmist first challenges Israel, the nation, and, and, then, and then the Levitical priesthood of Aaron, and then all of us who fear the Lord. He says, bring glory to God. Trust in Yahweh. Because Yahweh, that's the name for God, is our help and our shield. So here's how you bring weightiness to God. You trust in Him. You trust Him. So, so this is somewhat anecdotal, this talk this morning. I mean, I, again, I sat at my desk and, and I asked myself this question, or asked the Lord this question, Lord, if I'm going to trust you, what does that practically look like? If, I, if I'm going to bring glory to you and I'm trusting in you, what does it look like in my life practically? What does it actually look like to trust the Lord? And here's, here's the three things that I came up with. These, these are Jimmy, so just remember that, right? But, but I think, as Paul said, I think I have the Spirit, and I think I'm on to something here. here here's, here's what it looks like if you actually trust the Lord. When life is difficult, or life is painful, or it's just really hurtful, when I trust in the Lord, I have an unwavering confidence that God is still good, and that God actually loves me. No matter what the circumstances of my life. To me, beloved, that's what trusting in God looks like. You see, it's really easy to trust in God when you got a great bank account and a wonderful house and, and relationships are all wonderful. Yeah, I trust in God, right? Everything's wonderful. But what about when your health is falling apart and you are suffering and it's just one setback after another? Trusting in God is this unwavering confidence that, God, God, you're good. You're for me. You love me. These things are not an indicator that, you're, that you don't love me. Here's my second one. When it costs me to obey God, when I personally lose by obeying God, trusting in God means I obey the Lord anyway. So when I lose 
by obeying the Lord. If I trust God, then I obey anyway. And you say, well, what, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about you, you, uh, you know, you're in your business, whatever, your, your boss is telling you to do something and you say no and, and, uh, because what you're, what you're being asked to do isn't right and, and you say no and you just, in your heart, well, God's going to protect me. It's going to be all right. But then you lose your job and then you can't find another job. And then, and then, um, you know, and then I, I could make my scenario worse, but you don't find a job and then, then you lose, then you lose your house. They foreclose on your house because you haven't made your mortgage. Of course, by the way, everybody, that's where we step in for each other. That's actually what it means to love one another, but that's a, that's, that's, that's a freebie. Um, my point is trusting in God means I will obey you, God, no matter what it costs me to do that, no matter how much it hurts to obey you. I trust you, Lord, so I will obey. And the third thing, and then maybe this is something similar to the first one, but I think it's different. When death approaches, and I'm going to use death as the ultimate, not just life is difficult, but when death approaches by disease, by a murderer, by old age, I, I do not fear. I don't doubt or deny God, not his existence, not his goodness in my life, not his love for me. So when death is approaching me, again, through a murderer, you know, uh, through a murderer, through, through old age, or through disease. I, I don't doubt God. I trust Him, right? So those, that to me, that's what it practically looks like to trust God. Um, when you live this kind of trust, God gets glory. God gets weightiness. Because people, people want to say, wow, what makes you tick? What kind of God is this that elicits such kind of, that sort of, trust in him you know i think i think about the hamilton family i don't know him very well but you know, remember they they lost their first daughter to cancer and then rust to cancer the dad and then then their their other daughter has cancer and yet all the stories i heard of the hamilton family was and they just kept trusting god they just kept trusting god that he was for them, that he loved them. They didn't doubt that. And they kept on obeying the Lord. To me, I remember I don't even know the Hamilton family. I wanted to go to the funeral because I just, I mean, what they did made me just think of God in even greater terms because of their trust in him. I think that's true for all of us. When you trust the Lord like that, it brings weightiness to God. Why should you trust the goodness uh, and, and the love of God when you're losing? Why should you obey when you're, when you're losing or when you lose? Look at verse 12. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord. Small and great alike, may the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now here's the promise the psalmist gives us. Why should you trust the Lord? Because he remembers and he will not forget. He will bless us. That's why you should trust him. He will bless you. Deuteronomy 7 says, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Isaiah 25, 6, one of my favorite Isaiah prophecies. Here's what Isaiah says. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts, 
of choice meat. I guess it's like sirloin or whatever, just the good meats, right? Fine vintage wine. On this mountain, he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. And when he has swallowed up death once and for all, what is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about the return of Jesus and the the new kingdom in the end, right? The Lord God will wipe away all their tears, Revelation chapter 21, from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken on that day. It will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation for the Lord's power will rest on this mountain. Here's what Isaiah is saying, if you missed it, right? He's saying there's coming a day when God's going to remove death from the earth, raise us from the dead. We will be with him. And on that day, we'll say, look, look, there's the God we've been waiting for. There's the God we put our trust and hope in. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Trust in the Lord even when you're losing because there's coming a day on the mountain of God when God's going to raise us from the dead and we will be together forever. And we'll say, look, There's the God we waited for. There's the God we love. There's the God we put our trust in. I mean, that good. I mean, that just excites me. That's what the psalmist is saying. Evan, one thing you said last week, you said it a couple of times and it just reverberated in my heart. You said, we have to have the long, long ball view or the long view, I think it was. We have to have the long view. And that's what I think the psalmist is saying to us here in Psalm 115. Have the long view. God will bless you, though you lose. Though you lose everything, including your life. You will win. You will win. Here's why you trust in God. Even when you're losing, you actually, and even when you actually do lose, God is your help, your shield. He will save you. He will redeem you. He will restore your life, raise you from the dead. I will not be afraid. Hear Jesus one more time. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Here's what Jesus is saying. Though we lose everything for him, including the ultimate, our lives, Gain everything in the end. And that's why you trust in the Lord. Because He's going to bless you. He's going to redeem you. So here's one more question before I move on to the last point. I'm almost finished. Just hang in there emotionally with me. Here's, here's my last, here's my last subpoint to this trusting God. How do I do that? How do I develop that kind of trust in the Lord? I don't know if you've seen the progression. Here's how you bring weightiness to God. You trust in the Lord. What does that look like? It looks like Loving God, trusting God, even when you lose, right? Why would you do that? Because in the end, you win. So now's the question, how do, how do I do that? How do I live with such trust today in my life? And I, I have an answer for you. I think it's the right answer. Here it is. Here's how you do this. Here's how you trust in the Lord when you're losing, when, when, when it may cost you everything. You get to know Jesus personally. The way you develop trust in anyone is you get to know them. 
See, I trust you if, I, if I've gotten to know you and I trust you. I mean, if I've gotten to know you and I've seen you faithful and, and I've seen who you are and your person, I trust you, right? I've gotten to know you and I trust you. How do, how do we trust God? We get to know him. And how do we get to know him? We look to Jesus. So here's my challenge. Read about Jesus, everyone. Discover Jesus. Jesus was God. That's his claim. That was what was authenticated by his resurrection. Get to know Jesus and you're going to get to know God. And as you get to know Jesus, you will find him trustworthy. Jesus is incredible, everyone. He's so weighty. You know, you don't, you don't have to believe me. Just read about Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look at him. See the God man who loved people and gave himself for others, for us. And I'm telling you, as you get to know him, then you will choose by faith to trust him because you know him. I tell you, everyone I share with these days, this is what I, I, I just, I'm not trying to get them to change their whole worldview in a five minute conversation. But what I've been telling them to do is, hey, get your Bible out and read one of the first four books of the New Testament. There are four biographies about Jesus. Just start reading there and get to know Jesus. Because I think, you know, when you get to know Jesus, you're going to find him compelling and you're going to want to follow him. I tell you, when you get to know Jesus, you'll trust him by faith because he'll earn your trust. Last, live for God's glory now. The psalmist says, Live for God's glory now. This is a little bit different because the emphasis I'm putting, I'm putting in this last statement is live for God's glory now and forevermore. Verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending into the silence of death. But we will bless the Lord both now and forever. Hallelujah. Heaven is the realm where God lives, and it's, and it's the realm where perfect righteousness reigns. Heaven is, is the realm of, of, the, of the counsel of God and the angelic beings, and, and it's a place where the will of God is done perfectly. But here the psalmist tells us something I think is a reality, but God gave the earth to us. He created us in his own image, and just like himself, he gave us dominion over the earth. He gave us the rule over the material world. He gave us dominion there, and we're supposed to be exercising dominion there. The psalm uh, begins by saying that God sits in heaven and does what he pleases. Here's what he was pleased to do. He was pleased to create a universe and an earth that he gave us dominion over. But we rebelled against the Lord. We rebelled against the Lord. We sinned and death entered the world. So today we reap the consequences of our rebellion. The world has upon it a curse of sin. And our personal brokenness leads to societal brokenness. And it leads to, it leads to the, the brokenness. It leads to brokenness all around us. And thanks be to God, he's going to fix all that. He's going to restore all that. He's going to return it to the uh, uh, original envision that, a vision that he had for it, Right? And Jesus will not only redeem us from the curse of death, but he's going to redeem us from all the brokenness in the world. He's going to be our leader. So the psalmist says, it's not the dead who are going to bring glory to God now. It's the living. So if you are alive, give glory to God now. Remember what Jesus told us? He said, pray like this, everyone. Your will be done, God, on earth 
as it is in heaven. We are, we are to do his will. We are to live for him. We are to bring glory to him, shining the light of our life on the world around us so that everyone around us would see how weighty God is and how good God is. The dead had their chance. And many of our brothers and sisters, when they were living, they pointed their lives to the glory of God. I mean, history is filled with men and women who lived their lives in their moment for the glory of God. The psalmist's point is, they can't do that now. It's our time to do that. It's your time to do that. Now is your time to live for the glory of God. You, this is your generation. This is when you are living. It is your time now to live for the glory of God, for the weightiness of God. So live holy lives, everyone. Live set apart lives. Live vocal lives for the Lord. I mean, talk about Jesus. I don't mean browbeat people. I don't mean try to win people over in a five-minute conversation. But I mean live vocally for Jesus. Talk about Jesus to others. Introduce him to others. Encourage them to go and, and, and look, read about him themselves. Live good lives, everyone. I tell, I tell men all the time, if you follow Jesus, it'll make you a better man. It'll make you a better dad, a better husband. Live good lives. Live kind and gracious lives so that others will see the weightiness of God in your life. Live trusting God when you're losing. Shine your light on Him until your light goes out in death. And then it'll be someone else's turn. When I die, it'll be my sons and daughters' times. I mean, there's their time now too, right? But, I mean, they'll, they'll, be, they'll still have time. I, I won't be here anymore. But they will, and my grandchildren will. Shine the light of God, of God's glory on God now. All right. But know this, the psalmist knew it well. He says, but we shall praise the Lord now and we shall praise the Lord forevermore. The dead may not be praising the Lord now here with us, but they will, those who belong to the Lord will praise the Lord forever. We'll bring glory to him now. We can bring glory to him now and you should be bringing glory to him now and forever and forever both Uh, in heaven and in the resurrection in the kingdom to come. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at BaconsCastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.